recording. Oh, good morning. Are you awake? I just put to my first kip, kip of Safi. Me <laughs> Hot drink. Hot drink in mouth. You know, I was thinking while... Uh, I well, actually can't think very much right now. Not yet. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why. I thought 8.30. Okay. I think there are benefits to an early morning dance and stuff. Um, yeah, getting it done in the morning. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Just getting it done. Yeah. No, that's true. I and also, I, I maybe will achieve something new, kind of verbally or mentally. Or, you know, you don't know. I don't know that we've ever recorded an episode at this hour. Yeah, next week we should go to like a, a 6.30. Let's try it one day. Yeah. Let's wake up in the middle yeah. of the night and see what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually open my eyes mm. at like um, 6. Oh, no. 6.15. Me too. Me too. I opened my eyes and said, well, it feels like eight. Yeah. It it looks a little yeah. bit like eight. And I looked over at my, um, looked over at my alarm clock. Cause I have just like a, you know, analog, like $1 alarm clock from Ikea. And it looked like 6.15 and I thought, oh, my battery must've died in my alarm clock. <laughs> but it was, it actually, it was true. And I, <laughs> I, I got to go pee and then get back in bed and enjoy sleep number two. Yeah, I absolutely did the, the same thing because the curtains weren't fully closed because there are, are layers of curtains in this hotel. So. Oh, do you know about me that I don't I don't close curtains when I sleep? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't like I don't like to feel at like the closed. first first moment of light. I'm hello hello. Day. Day. I'm, not, I'm not a rooster like that I'm not I'm a full rooster You're a farm child so I was like I'm not prepared to get up at this time But it does seem kind of light out Right, meanwhile Jack will be asleep for 10 more hours, right? Yeah, light has no effect <laughs> I'm literally I'm a- like It's dark, it's time to go to sleep It's light, it's time to wake up Tell me about um, where you are, what is happening, and how it's going. Okay. So I'm currently um, in North Adams, Massachusetts, at the Massachusetts, what is it? Mass Mocha? Museum of Contemporary Art? Yeah, um, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. Which turns out to be, uh, North Adams is essentially a, a sister town of Williamstown, which people might know from Williamstown Theater Festival and Williams College, um, which is, it's, it helps. It helps the, the sort of, it helps with the culture of the area, eating and <laughs> feeling like there's, might be somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it's a little, I think people are just arriving from Williamstown. Um, including uh, April Mathis and Aaron Markey, um, who are doing something at Williamstown. Um, We've never been dumber than we are today. Well, it's not possible to do anything right now. Uh, Um, Yeah, we're here because... Jack has a show. Jack is doing a live show in September here in an exhibition by visual artist Mark Swanson. Um, and we're also making a, a film that is related to it. Uh, everything so, has sort of shifted as things do. Is the film a part of the live show or it's a separate thing? I think the live show will be a part of the film. Ah, uh, it's a documentary. <laughs> it's not a documentary, but... Yeah. Hmm. They're, they're relate. I mean, I think originally they were going to be more of the same thing. And then. So is Mass Mocha supporting this trip and filmmaking that's happening right now? So Mass Mocha is, is like 
Yes, supporting the residency for Jack to make this piece. In theory, they were also supporting this film, and mm. then there were funding issues, and unfortunately, all arts had reached out about doing something. So that's funding for the film is from all arts. So it's sort of oh. two projects that are almost almost a co-production. My goodness. Just sort of happenstance next to each other. So. I love that. Yeah. And are you having any fun? Hmm. I think we're, we're trying. We're trying to have some fun. Uh-huh. Is, is Nomi having any fun? Nomi is not having much fun. No. Wow, this sounds grim. No, it's it's work. So it's it, it, you know we we're trying. So basically, like I come here and I have a space where I can, where I like have a studio essentially. So I can I work in the morning my, myself, painting and whatnot. At, at Mass Mocha. Yeah, at Mass Mocha. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and then you know by the time I'm done with my day, I go back to the hotel. Could you believe like, I found those boots that look like your paintings? Those are couldn't, hilarious. Couldn't believe it. I said... <laughs> I mean, everything exists now. <laughs> oh my god, my Aunt Jane sent me, um, sent me uh, a URL, or I don't know, what's that called? A link to a Cynthia, a Cynthia Rowley bathing suit that is reminiscent of, you know, one of the original Reed and Harriet bathing suits. Uh-huh. And she said, she copied you. I said, N- I mean, not really. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> everything's out there. Everything is everything. Everything somehow repeats. Literally you know? the only difference is who can make money, who can like figure out the business. Of exactly. It. And guess what? Guess who can charge less for basically that bathing suit? Cynthia Rowley. Yeah, of course. It's like probably having it printed from, you know, China, which yeah. I guess is like changing because they're probably going to uh, be able to charge more. Well, they'll have to charge more because uh, I read some, I skimmed, to be clear, an article about Chinese imports yesterday, how they're mm. like banning anything that might be related to, uh, you know, like child manufacturing uh-huh um but as one would expect that causes issues <laughs> for people who need those things made by uh, children hyper <laughs> yeah uh, impoverished people's yeah tiny fingers apparently um, i don't know where cynthia rowley's bathing suits are made but yeah they were actually like similar price point well slightly lower price point than Reed and Harry bathing suits. It doesn't matter. Reed and Harry bathing suits are from so many years ago. That is old news, honey. It's old news. They're sitting in a drawer. If you'd like one, please contact us. We'll give it to you half price. Yeah, it's. they're even better now because they're not, you know, peak high fashion. Oh, now they're vintage. I literally just sent one to Carla Corbs, who was a, a really exceptional ballerina who retired a couple of years ago from Pacific Northwest Ballet. And she um, she now has the Harriet style of the Reed and Harriet swimwear, and she looks exceptional in it, absolutely exceptional. I think once a ballerina, always a ballerina. Really? Yeah. I, I've struggled with that language um, since I, I... I had a kind of, like, false retirement from dance, and... Yeah, and it people seems to go on forever. It's never gonna end. People <laughs> who ask me, "Oh, you know, what do you do?" Sometimes it comes up, "Oh, I was a dancer," and often people will say, "Well, what, once a dancer, always a dancer." I'm saying, "Well, doesn't feel like it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems it seems true that it does end. <laughs> it, it literally does end. Like once you've seen a former dancer like hobble out with like two arm crutches onto a stage or whatever you're like I think it's over yeah you know I've been further settling into um, 
the reality of uh, uh, getting older and <sighs> never figuring out anything, you know, like how to live or whatever. Yeah. And part of the problem is that you get older and everything changes. And everything changes. So it's always, you know? everything's always a little new all the time. Yeah, you have like a new body every day. You have like, new, uh. you know, now today we're banning Chinese imports. So what are we going to do? Yeah. I think that's R- good. Can you imagine if everything and... just stayed the same all the time? It'd be really, yeah, yeah. it'd be it's crazy. Just, it's, it's such a fallacy of the like, figuring it out worldview. Oh yeah, no, you never, it can't all just like, be figured, it, figured out. I mean, have you been watching this Teal Swan show? I don't know what that means. Oh, Jeremy. Is it a swan that's teal? I wish. But actually, to see a teal swan would be thrilling. But this show is called The Deep Dive. It's on Hulu, I believe. And it is a four-part documentary series about a self-help Oh, um, right. Woman yes. named Teal Swan. I see. I, I believe see. I, that is her name. given name, even. Well, uh, so blame the parents. Well, she does. Mm. <laughs> Good for her. I mean, at the end of the day, she blames everyone's parents. Not just hers, but all yes. parents in general. Yeah, I mean, that, and it's true to a point. Her, um... Of, well, you know, yeah, that's who we come point. from. That's who we come from. Her um, diagnoses or her, um, what's it called when you, oh, her prescription for almost all her clients is cut ties, cut ties with your parents. <laughs> oh, she has, these are clients that she has. I, it looked like a full cult. Oh, it is a cult. But they pay her as like sessions or not? They pay her to do these workshops and to come to... Uh, speaking events okay but they're not like living together in a compound there are there is a small group of her devotees who live with her and have signed a non-negotiables contract which basically says there there is nothing else in the world besides teal swan i devote all of my energy towards teal swan I will not be having any babies to interfere with the work i will not be in relationships to interfere with the work um, yeah, so she has demanded, like, total devotion to the work, in quotations, and, um, it is, it's all a bunch of crazy malarkey, and she's, has no certifications of any kind, she, she's just intuitively, um, an empath, and a psychic, and a healer, except what she does is have people, um, one of the big controversies with Teal Swan is that the topic of suicide is uh, approached in a really unusual way where people will come up on stage or in her retreat saying like, I can't seem to muster um, any like positivity or like energy towards continuing to live and she'll just say like then why are you still alive then kill yourself exactly yeah that's a there's a you know i think there's a there's a a a philosophy around that of like well she definitely also like compares those kinds of teachings to more eastern philosophies that do um touch on that territory with like less fear or kind of like less delicacy than we do uh-huh. here in America where it's like suicide is so such a faux pas it's like don't do it like at right. a, where other cultures might be like you know it is a way well, of which then builds in this thing around like dramatizing the taboo mm-hmm. like oh I think I'm gonna kill myself and like right. are you or are you just are you just want to just want to be seen you just want to exist more that's why you're saying it you know, right. so they're like all you know obviously like there's a full range of human reasons to express right. suicidality 
But unfortunately, for Teal, for Teal Swan, a couple of her um, followers have indeed followed through on the advice. <laughs> and so she is a classic kind of like narcissist personality mm-hmm. disorder person. And it is a fascinating documentary series. And you one would find it very hard to find any compassion for Teal Swan after watching this. But you better believe she has rebuttal videos on Facebook for every single episode. Because she feels that these documentary filmmakers have painted her in a very negative light. Um, and that they've tricked her. Because obviously she agreed to let them film for years and make yeah, this. because that's how a narcissist operates. Right. And what's incredible is over the course of this documentary series, Teal Swan and her like secondhand man, this like strange German person, have hired a private investigator named Mary to basically exonerate her from claims that she is running a cult. Uh And so Mary is hired in and is really like invested in exploring the world of Teal Swan and it's all being done via, you know, phone calls and Zoom. And, and Mary is elsewhere. And she looks like everyone's favorite mother. And she's, um, you know, she has like, she has like a frog that she's very fond of that sort of wanders her garden. And she's like, <laughs> she's a person that we absolutely love Mary. Well, I also then imagine this documentary was, was also to exonerate the cult. No, well, here's what's what's so fascinating is that Mary, after not after some research, after extensive research into uh, former members of the inner circle and and documentation and this this particular document called the non negotiables, comes back with a report that she does in a Zoom call with Teal Swan that's basically like I cannot in good faith report that this is not a call. Work, Mary. And Teal Teal Swan is basically like, what? And then as soon as the phone call is over, she like looks to the German guy and she's like, I blame you for this. This is not, this is your problem. You need to fix this. So like, you just have to watch it. You have to watch it. It's, it's It's, incredible. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, I think I've also flirted with, uh, unsubscribing to everything. Wow. Um, but, uh, um, what is there once you do that though? What? What's left, you know? Well, I think you find other things, you know, to like do with your life. I suppose. Um, we did, we did, uh, go into this for a reason called river. Uh, Oh, you went in it. I, I literally, when you said that in my head, I was like, you watched a program called Cold River. So I started exactly, like going exactly. through the Rolodex of what is Cold River, what is Cold River. Cold River, Cold River, Cold River. Uh, you know, and yeah, so exactly. That's, that's my point. Wow. Was it, what did it, did it make you feel more alive? Yeah, I suppose it did. Wow, I love yeah. that. Um, oh, oh, go ahead. I also watched, when, I don't know when this happened. I feel like maybe this happened in the apartment. Uh, we watched, uh, a chorus line. Oh wow! And I thought the the movie mm-hmm. with um, Michael Douglas. Douglas. Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. You know who's like the only person acting in this film. Um, terrible. I thought this is not good. Is Sheila good? Um, you know, I watched it with Jack, and Jack, but you know, I, I think Jack thought it was a good movie before we watched it. It's like, oh, but it's, oh, it's not, it's not, it's, it's sort of like Michael Douglas is acting for a movie and everyone else is acting for a stage. Well, it is as if they, they filmed a chorus line with all the dancers on the stage and then they, for two days, they called in Michael Douglas and had him sit in the theater alone and they filmed another movie. It's a bit like that. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It's not, it's a, it's not, it's not, it's not nice. I thought also this music, all, these lyrics, what's going on? Did you, um, it's enjoy the dancing? premise. Did but, you enjoy uh, the dancing? You know, there's this incredible dancer, um, who 
who, who, you know, this was weeks ago, I'm his name. Um, or, but he had like a really long, um, he had a long resume. Um, yeah, so there was one person who's dancing I appreciated. All right. I love that. Look, I haven't seen that movie in quite a while, but I, do, I guess I do have like a... Well, you know, you think of like all that jazz. That was like the... the you're like, this is not a movie. Wait. Comparison. Oh, I see, I see, because it's around the same time. Yeah, it's also like the opening scene of all that jazz is this like, you know, this audition, like a big open theater. Yeah. So the comparison is... It's just there. Oh, well, Bob Fosse was was trying to challenge him, himself and the audience, and whoever made a chorus line was like classic musical theater. Class. Yeah, just just serve it, serve it up. Yeah, as the musical. You know, it's one of those like milestone musicals that has um, <laughs> propelled us to arriving where we are now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a great concept, uh, poorly executed i mean i mean i think there's also like it was probably sounded better at the time like mm. even like the the kinds of language around it and like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the sincerity of these things but so i would love to see someone redo it rewrite that show yeah new music new text new everything yeah, just take the concept and make a new show yeah that's fun mm-hmm. um i've seen a bunch of things uh, but also, did you, did you, like, complete Mormon content? Did you watch the Mormon documentary on Netflix? Uh, I, I, I began it before we came here. But I'll, I don't, I don't have any, I literally don't remember okay. a second of what it is. Or well, we can discuss what. that at another date. Did you watch, um... Are you all caught up on I Love That For You? Well, here's the thing. The two episodes that we watched were the only two episodes we could watch, given our Hulu I don't or our understand. Amazon. For some reason, my Hulu just lets me watch it. And I maybe I paid for something and just don't know it. I don't know. Well, cause it's, I think it's actually on like FX or something. Showtime, I think. Right. So you would have to have Showtime. Yeah, maybe I have a special Showtime thing. Because Harriet, Harriet is also suffering from this affliction of I can't yeah. watch it. It's so oh, good. It's, it's such a so shame. good. There's eight episodes, and I have to say, I'm like dying for more. So yeah, it's good. Spectacular. It's so great. So, did you? I mean, that's you, nice to hear because then, like, the pain that I feel at two episodes, I still feel at eight episodes. Do you? You don't watch Obi Wan Kenobi stuff, do you? You know, I've been watching this recent thing and finding it to be acceptable. Oh, there, did you finish it? The Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay, because there's the last, they finished, there's a last episode that aired. Here's the thing, here's the thing with it. Mm, this mm. child, this like uncatchable child is ridiculous. So strange. Like, can't we set this up so that like, there's a reason why this little child can just run away from everyone? Princess it's- Leia? bizarre yeah it's not because she's princess leia that she can get away she's not like using special powers or something she's literally just running around you know and she's so small she's so small like she can't be that small like it's odd how small she is (laughs) anyways i do somehow i suspect she's like a normal child size no i don't there's something odd i I the do. scenarios are just not built around, like, you need to build a scenario where, like, a small child could get away because they're small. Right. Like, like a, a little that hole. They can crawl through it that, totally. Like, a large person can't. This is I just do. like she can get around a tree faster than a big person. No. Like, what? She can't. I mean, I buy the casting. Like, they did a good job. Like, I believe that that little girl could become Carrie Fisher. Yeah. You know? But, and yet, something's weird. Anyways. But it's okay. It's still better. It's still... I Like, what's that show with... Um, it's like an... Is it Avengers Universe? It's some kind of like... Um, I'm trying to think. 
Oh, uh, Ethan Hawke is in it as the as the. I don't know. I'm talking about Moon Knight. Moon Knight. I didn't watch it. Oi, oi. Should I? I mean, it's content to watch. I just thought this is not. This is not good. Is Oscar Isaac worth the hours? You know, I I really could watch just about anything Oscar Isaac does. But not Moon Knight. Unfortunately, like, he's in everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know how that's happening. He's like, I'm just going to keep working through 2020. Well, he's that age right now where he's like, I better get it done, you know. Gotta keep going. Um, I feel like there was another thing I just saw him in. Oh, yeah. <sighs> the ca- Card Counter on HBO. Is that good? Paul Schrader. It is excellent. Oh, okay. I, I really had no expectations. Um, very mixed. I, I, I feel like Paul Schrader as a director is very mixed bag. Um, mm-hmm. some, like tremendous, excellent films, including The Comfort of Strangers. Which uh, one was that? Which one was that? That's the um, Helen Mirren... Um, it's too early to do names, though. Here's the Rupert Everett in Venice. Oh, my, my, my. Wow, wow, wow. My, that my, movie. my. Christopher wow, wow, Walken. Wow. Christopher Walken. And, wow. and who's, the, who's the other lead? Uh, um, Miranda. Or mm-hmm. the, the, you know, Liam Neeson's wife who tragically died in a skiing accident. Yeah, what? Natasha. Natasha Richardson. There we go. That's what a what film. a movie! Wow, wow, wow! How so, bizarre! You know, so yeah. this Oscar Isaac, 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 <laughs> just the one. He's just the one. <laughs> well, he seems seems multiple. It's it is so bizarre, and it is a narrative that revolves around Abu Ghraib, which I found disorienting and tremendous and like this weird uh time jump you're gonna have to you're gonna have to forgive me um but that's a that's a hole in my knowledge abu Ghraib. it's a word i've heard don't know what it is so this is one of the uh the uh iraqi afghanistan war torture um zones oh Um, okay yeah, which is, you know, it's like a George W. Bush. Uh-huh. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know, there's something that feels so kind of like a weird pocket about that time next to, like, Trump. <laughs> like, oh my God. I don't know. It's just, it's like a weird, like, we've moved on past that in this way. But, like, to have it centered in the movie now feels really wild and so I weird. loved it I loved like the card ca- okay I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna watch was. it yeah gonna... it's great and there's Our... this really bizarre scene who's the actress who's the actress in this? oh it's Tiffany Haddish what <laughs> <laughs> yes yes really, they go to like um like a winter light garden it's so bizarre. You're snow. like, what is this scene? What is this? Why wow. are we here? It's incredible. It's it's okay, a I'm very excited. strange. I'm excited. It's kind of slow, like Twin Peaks: The Return. I love that. You know, and it and it's, it also like takes place in casino, you know, card. It's a little James Bondish. Uh no. Oh well, okay. It's very like. Uh, slow so it's like there's no kind of suspense right. the tone is very strange which well, is why I loved it okay I can't so wait like what is this movie Paul really Schrader really continue, continues to work continues to work continues to to uh, confuse and delight wow <laughs> um yeah, wow. yeah it's okay. on HBO Max I did, in fact, see dance Whoa. on more, more than one occasion. 
Um, last week, my friend Jessica Tong, who I used to be a ballet dancer with, truly at the beginning of my career, we were uh, apprentices at Ballet Met together. We're talking, we're talking the beginning of the 2000s, people. That's long ago. Um, but Jessica... Okay, Ballet Met is like Ohio? It's Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. That's right. And she invited... She's recently moved to New York with her husband and two children. She invited me to go see Gibney dance. And Wait, so after the pandemic, they were like, let's move to New York City. Right, they were living in Chicago because she's been working... She was in Hubbard Street and then started working as their rehearsal director and then associate director and then a job opportunity came up for both her and her husband in New York and now they live here yeah okay so anyways Jessica Tong was like will you come see Gibney dance with me I said okay I've never seen Gibney dance in its current iteration and this is this actually this is a this is a complex tale because Gina Gibney is a choreographer and kind of dance entrepreneur in New York who had like a six person dance company for many years that used a space at 890 Broadway as both their rehearsal space and a rental space for people to teach class and have rehearsals. So she was very clever in being able to give her little company a space while also sort of subsidizing the cost of that by having people rent the space for other purposes. And we all, like the dance community of New York, we all took class there from um, um, Jocelyn Lorenz and, God, names are really hard right now. It's impossible. It's really, really impossible. It's a real black hole. Christine Wright, who was one of my favorite ballet teachers. Anyways, also the whole premise, Gina Gibney dance also received a lot of, State. We're, okay, and we're talking what, like the nineteen seventies here? No, 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 no. More recent. No, no. We're we're talking, or, you know, nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. yeah, and until even just a couple of years ago, and um, they were also uh, receiving lots of like state grant money by doing outreach with um, marginalized communities and. Uh, women's shelters and all kinds of like really um, worthwhile kind of work, you know? So they, people who joined that company, there was an understanding that you were also going to be working as like an outreach ambassador. All this to say, a couple of years, you know, Gina Gibney then started expanding the real estate component of her company several years ago and took over that entire floor of 890 Broadway as those spaces became available and then took over what was before Dance New Amsterdam and is now Gibney downtown. Right. Wasn't there like a whole situation with Dance New Amsterdam of like it collapsed or whatever? Right. They were collapsing financially. Gina Gibney swooped in and kind of brought in uh, structure and stability and renovated the whole space to make it like a bit similar to the New York Live Arts story. Yeah, like to right. yeah, bringing in something that already had its own infrastructure to and sort of a dance company exactly. running a, a space. Right. So Gina Gibney swoops in. She it she has a kind of like trademark way of renovating spaces where she just like paints everything white and makes it really clean and and which is great for a dance space that's sort of what we need because dance new amsterdam used to be this aggravatingly um decorated place like antique no 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 it used to it used to be kind of like um Oh, God, like awful Midwest jazzy 90s, like yellow wall, red wall, green wall. There's nothing more depressing than a Midwest 90s elementary school. It was hideous, to be (laughs) frank. It's like going into a, into, remember that space we went into when Jack got his eye drops, wherever that was, and there was like, we went exactly, into some foods. Exactly. It had like a brown painted roof, but then yes, like, yes. you know, a green wall. Or, you know, it's bad. Right. They're trying to like energize with trash. 
Right. So that's what it used to be. And then she was like, no, clean it up. This is a dance space. Let's keep it normal. So um, now they're doing very, you know, it seems like things are going well with like all their class rentals and like people really using all the spaces, blah, blah, blah. Cut to right before the pandemic, Gina Gibney receives an enormous grant and decides to expand the whole premise of the dance company and expands the number of dancers to like, I don't know, 12 or something. And, um, and the whole, the allure of being in the dance company is that they were going to be receiving really decent salaries. We're talking like 60,000 a year plus. So people from far and wide auditioned for the company and they fleshed out Give Me Dance with people from Hubbard Street and dancers of like, uh, you know, sort of like Juilliard caliber dancers. And also what they did was they started moving away from the model of it being like a Gina Gibney choreography company and becoming more of a repertoire company. Okay. Right. So basically what was happening was the Gibney Dance Company started slowly becoming like Hubbard Street or Cedar Lake or Ballet Aspen Santa Fe or Ballet BC. One of these many kind of like unidentifiably repertoire companies. And uh, how is the rep- what is the repertoire built out of? <laughs> The repertoire is kind of built out of, this is, I don't, I can't say for sure. I don't work for the, for the Gimme Dance Company, but it's, it's built out of what is popular, will attract a certain kind of dancer and a certain kind of audience. And also I'm assuming a kind of, um, opportunities for international touring. So like they're trying to build a repertoire that presenters know they can sell. Uh-huh. But it's like miscellaneous choreographers. That's right. It's miscellaneous yeah. choreographers who, at this point, uh, based on the show that I saw, are the kind of choreographers that are now um, participating in this universe of like European contemporary dance. A la, like, the, I guess the leaders in that field right now are like. C.D. Larby, Crystal Pite, Alejandro Ceruto. Um, I know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know. So, so you think you can make dance. Right. So, <laughs> so basically, it is exactly that. Mm-hmm. It is exactly that. And watching these dancers who are excellent, you do get the impression that like, oh, you could win you could win so you think you can dance. Why don't you just go do that? You know, it's like, it's it's competition. It's basically like, okay, these kinds of dance companies are basically a, um, a way for competition dancers to move into a concert dance environment. Yeah. And... Wow, that was so intense to hear. <laughs> I think I think that that feels true and um, yeah. nauseating. It 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 you know it's actually really depressing because New York in particular has historically been a place where choreographers develop a language particular to themselves <sighs> on, <laughs> a, on a group of dancers that become kind of the arbiters of that kind of movement and style. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we have, hist- we have all these incredible or have had all these incredible companies of dancers engaging in entirely different things. Yes. You know, you have the Trisha Brown Dance Company, you have the Merce Cunningham Dance Company, you have the Martha Graham Dance Company, you even have Doug Verone, you have Laura Lubavitch, yeah. you have um, more esoteric things, you have um, Douglas Dunn, and you ha- you know, I could go on and on. There's so, so many. <clears throat> there's Garth Fagan, there's Alvin Ailey, there's, um, there's uh, Naini Chen, there's, you know, it's just like an endless array of very 
unique choreographies being made on dancers who become expert in that way of dancing. And now suddenly there's this new model of company. Actually, yeah. I don't know how new it is because I do know that like Robert Joffrey was also like cultivating new choreographies with his own company in the past and like bringing in modern dance choreographers even back in the Well, I think, I think what it feels like is that the company model is no longer viable. Yeah. And this is what is replacing it. It's like a, um, it's like horses in a, in a, you know, whatever it's called. A stable? A stable? (laughs) Yeah. So you have like a company that's like a stable of horses and then people can come in and do what they want with like these thoroughbreds. Right. Which is in a way amazing because now you have these like dancers who have a relationship to each other, if not your language. Right. So in theory, it's like there's something there. What's hard is that it's replacing this other model. So it's not like an additional model that sort of always exists in a way in terms of like where there's money. Right. You know, like all of this is like capitalist, like because the company model, it's not that the company model doesn't work because of like interest in art by like makers of it or dancers. I mean, you're exactly right. Because like you can't pay people 60 grand a year. Right. And and it's depressing because you see this company of excellent dancers, which includes people who've come from Lamone, people who've come from Kyle Abraham. And you're like, well, how unfortunate then that you were working in companies that had, you know, physical kind of integrity. Right. And here we are. Yeah, it's also interesting in terms of like the history of the NEA and the breakdown of the funding through the NEA uh, crisis and because basically what ended up happening is that individuals can no longer get and this is literally what we're talking about which is individual voices in as choreographers dance makers artists versus what ended up happening with NEA, NEA funding is that it was only accessible by like you know organizations right like a you know a, a a, a nearby bar, it's a, a Gibney, you know, like, so then if you can basically found your organization, your company as a, as one of those organizations, then you can access that money. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to, you can tap into like all these other, if you organize it based on funding, this is what you get, a funded organization that makes stuff. Totally. Totally. And I, I mean, we could, it, it is depressing. There's an incredible chapter in um, Susan Lee Foster's book, Dances That Describe Themselves, that lays out this whole problem. It yeah. really explicitly in terms of like pay structures of dance companies and the NEA and like how that whole history has affected where we are, you know, how we've gotten to where we are. Um, so I encourage you to read that book and maybe it will. That's a great will... title. Say it again. Dances That Describe Themselves. I know it's a great it's a great book that's not that chapter is kind of independent almost of the rest of the book I mean it, it's ne- it's useful in the context of the book but the rest of the book <clears throat> is this kind of fascinating um story of uh of uh improviser anyway I won't go too much into it but read the book and also learn about the economy of dance. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's also so unfortunate because then we end up talking about this shit and it's like so boring and tedious and hateful. Yeah. Because that was basically your review of the show that you saw. <laughs> I, I know. I didn't even say one word about the pieces, but actually I don't want to say any yeah, words I think, about the I pieces. Think, I think it's clear. <clears throat> yeah, know? because look, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to like try to bring down these choreographers. I mean, they Absolute, have, right, right. Exactly. They're being given space and time to like work on their thing with a group of dancers that are very good, but not necessarily a group of dancers that they've cultivated, you know? So 
Right. It doesn't, and it, and, and, and that's why, I, like, if this was an alternative system rather than a kind of sense of replacing the system, I mean, even talking to Pam, like, it's so much easier to, like, go set a piece on someone else's company, just, like, come in and, like, oh, make yeah. a work rather than, like, dealing with the whole, like... Yeah, of course. The, the machine of, like, taking care of a group of people, healthcare, and, like, trying to pay people, and, like, when no right. one's getting paid, there's no money. So right. Like, these big companies, which is, like, constantly the conversation that is happening. Of, well, like, because when you're... Can, like, these big companies... Like, all the money's there. Exactly. And, you know, when you're at the helm, like, all the issues come to you. So if you're the Pam Tanowitz Dance Company, it's like, people are going to complain to you. <laughs> exactly. That's hard. And this is, this is like, <clears throat> you know, this is a micro microcosm of, like, the larger issue of that, like, all of the money goes to the 1%. Right. You know, this situation with inflation, I'm like, is this literally just the 1% vacuuming up that money that was given out during the pandemic. I, I assume that's what's happening. It's like, no, we have to suck that money back up into ourselves at the top. Thank you so much for surviving so that you can continue to serve us. <laughs> so, uh, good times, good, good times. Time. Anyway, so I saw yeah. that. Um, and then I saw, um, well, I saw a couple other things, but I saw Of Love and Rage, the new Rotmonsky yeah, full length at American Ballet Theater. And my going into it, I was really, I was very skeptical because I, I'd heard the plot of, yeah. of this, um, I think, I think the whole, the whole thing about this this libretto is that it's based on like the oldest documented book or something like that <laughs> and um isn't that a place to start i almost wish i hadn't known yeah. any of that before going in because to be honest like he's a really excellent choreographer like the show itself like moves really beautifully there's a lot of amazing dancing for these amazing dancers some of the performances were just like star making like Catherine Herlin who is the protagonist of this whole story is like she's I mean, she's got it all. I mean, Catherine Herlin will be like the next great American ballerina. Incredible. She is. And she, she's what heaven. Is, what is her situation? She's a soloist at American Ballet Theater. She will, I'm sure, be promoted to principal after this season because she's doing leads in all these full lengths. But she's an ABT baby. She grew oh. up in grew up in New York. Her mom is Denise Herlin who was in the Paul Taylor Dance Company and runs Dancers Responding to AIDS. And so how did she end up being a dancer? Who? Huh? Oh, I see. Har, har, har. So she went to like the ABT school and then through the company ranks. And she, I mean, she's blessed to be, uh, to put it sort of minimal, to minimize it. She, she is, she's, I, I mean, she's so natural. She's so, like, physically skilled. It's incredible. She, I mean, it's amazing. I'm so glad. I'm. So, it's, like, very hopeful about, like, the future of of maybe ABT or wherever she ends up going. I don't know. Yeah, I did, um, I did glimpse Gia's review. Uh, that was very... Uh, uh, had that sentiment of, like... Especially in response to her review of Don Quixote. She's like, dusty old things. And this was like, oh, there's hope. There really is with Catherine Herlin. She's just incredible. And, you know, Of Love and Rage has a lot of, a lot of things to really like choreographically and visually. Jean-Marc Puissant did the sets and costumes, Friend of the Pod. You can go back and listen to You know what was strange? Episode. There were two photos in the New York Times that looked exactly the same. Uh -huh. Two different shows. 
<laughs> what? That's all. I, have to, I don't know. That was my only, my only kind of aesthetic clock. It was like. But they might have been the same show, no? I guess it's possible, but why would that be? Well, they, they. I know they had. There was a preview piece, but I don't, I don't think. I mean, maybe, maybe they were. Anyway. Um, well, there is like a very long stretch of the show, mo- like a lot of the first act where, where people are just all in the same costumes. And then the second act of the show has lots of costumes, like a lot of, a lot of different, because it basically like a trip around the world. <laughs> is this tr- like um, Sleeping Beauty scale? No. 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 It's, no. It's a, like more, it's a, it's a more minimalist vision of what set and costuming can be, whereas like Sleeping Beauty is quite maximalist. Right, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm not didn't mean to to insinuate that it could be. I don't know. Right, possible, but um, it did seem fairly maximal. Oh yeah, no, it's like a very, it's very fleshed out full length ballet in terms of like many costumes, many locations, Um, but not, you know how in Sleeping Beauty, like every time you go to a new place, the entire set disappears and a whole new one Uh reappears. This is not quite like that. There are several sets in this, but it's mostly like pieces that sort of like roll in and out and. It's okay. it's done very nicely, I think, and um, there's some very beautiful costumes and lots and lots of exciting fabrics and um, really one of the grimmest stories imaginable. Wow, I love that. Um, well, as I was saying to, I was I went on an Insta Live with James Whiteside last night, and we were there on the same night. He was asking how I liked it, and I said, you know, I was thinking about it and. It is like wild to imagine that all the bad things that happen to female protagonists in ballets, if you took all of them from every story ballet and put them all in one ballet. I that. Yeah, because there's, there's betrayal, there's murder, there's abduction, there's um, um, polyg... Well, I don't know what to call that. Anyways, there uh, there's no it's no a Mormon story. Well, she gets married, but then she gets married again. So oh. I. <laughs> she just keeps getting married. She just can't stop it. Yeah, married and then married off again. Well, she gets sold, um, oh. obviously, and then she. Oh God, it's there's a shocking moment at the end where like, you know that she's pregnant at a certain point in the show, but then you don't see the child. And you have to kind of just accept that she's had the child. And then at the very end, you're confronted by the reality of this child and her having to make this insane decision to go back to the man who she'd originally married and who murdered her. Oh, amazing. I love this. And leave the man who bought her but was actually very kind to her and like married her and raised her child so that she could, she could be like a respectable woman or something. Mm. But anyway, she, she decides after the child is, I'm going to say four or five years old to take, to go back to the guy who she originally was with and who had in fact murdered her in a jealous fit and bring the child with her so that this other man who's been father to the child since its birth is out of the picture, I suppose. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a lot to deal with. I, I found that last scene to be so much to deal with that I was laughing. <laughs> yes, I love yeah. that. Um, really odd, really strange when a small child walks out on stage and you think, oh, right, you have a child. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, well, I guess you'll have to catch it next time. Yeah, I, I, I have a, I have a distinct feeling that I will never see this thing, but, um, you never I hope know. To. It sounds incredible. It sounds complicated, which I love. 
quite. There's a whole war that gets fought to um that Cachaturian music from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Oh, uh, I mean, it sounds complicated, but also that it work that it's done, that it it works. It it That's... premiered and it and it does work in a way that surprised me. I was yeah. I was uh, really expecting something um I don't know what I was expecting I I wasn't expecting to enjoy it which is stupid because like uh, I should at this point trust that Alexei Ratmansky will make things that are good you know generally yeah I think I, I suspect it has to do with like the the uh the sweep of, you know, or like the, the complexity of the story people can get, right. can get swallowed up. Well, cause when, when you read, when you hear about <clears throat> a story where all, where in all these atrocities befall a single woman, you think, well, that's impossible. That sounds preposterous. That can't be a ballet. <clears throat> and then it, and, it's and, perfect, and perfect point to start a ballet. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the question you're asking then do it do it <coughs> find a way um and then uh, the last thing i saw was that i was working late one night and Stuart singer was like i'm on my way to abrams i'm seeing this play with jen lafferty that um because jen has tickets uh, she's not in it but she that's she was I know. She was going to see it, and it was a Jess Barbagallo play, who I don't, I've never seen their work before, and I went to this play, and, you know, it, it, it was a play that was employing kind of like, um, honestly, I can't speak to theater, so I, I would be out. I would sound like a total ignoramus trying to describe what I saw, but I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I don't like, play. I, I don't like play, you know, I don't like plays. I was, de I was, I was contemplating different ways of leaving the space, but it was in that underground theater at Abrams and it would have been very conspicuous, you know? Cause I was like, I wish I could leave and go back to my studio. And so that's the space, the headspace I was in. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I want to go make stuff. Yeah, I want to go be productive, and, like, for me to sit through this play is completely counterproductive, so. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it's sort of, there's this thing around, like, uh, not believing in art. <laughs> but, like, it's, it's been very clear in this process with Jack and trying to figure out this show that, like, there's always this, this kind of like, you can't just dance for no reason, or like, you have to like, what is the frame? So like, taking a play and just doing a play, you're like, are you serious? We're just gonna do a play, like, right? Nothing has happened ever. I'm sure there was like, a we've point. We've never seen a play. Um, I, I I know. And it reminds me of the of the kind of Gibney dance dance so you think you can dance it's like so you so you think you can just dance well i, I mean i don't want to i don't want to compare these two things because the jess barbagallo thing as much as i didn't like it was coming from a very like specific downtown theater point of view so uh -huh. no, i want to yeah yeah and it was happening at abron so like i want to give like more it wasn't credence. like a straight play no 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 it was Exactly. It was conceptual, and it, and it was like an indictment on the art world or something. But I, in the in the way that like, you know how, um, what's that movie that we love, love, love with Bernadette Peters about downtown New York? Uh, I want to say Slums of Beverly Hills, but that's absolutely wrong. Um, slaves of New York. Slaves of New York. So slaves in the way that Slaves of New York succeeds extremely in in doing what it does which is like 
a hilarious indictment of like the New York art world in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this play, wa- I think this play in some ways wanted to succeed in those ways, but does not. Mm, interesting. But it's also like a play about right now and also makes commentary on, you know, um, Gen Z people who are what I don't want to talk about it because like, I don't even know how I don't even know how. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, art, art's hard. Art's hard. Art is, art's fine. We're working on some art for Pam Tanowitz right now that is proving to be hard. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I actually have this sense <laughs> that the struggle that Harriet and I are experiencing yeah. with it right now will result in um, something exciting. Like, I think yeah. there's a, there's an energy about it that's coming from the struggle we're having with it. And yes. our Harriet and I having to actually now postpone traveling to Bard College because we haven't had enough time to make the clothes. Yes. Because suddenly there are seven more costumes in the show. Yes. Oh, and also several, several of the costumes we've already made are now canceled. Absolutely. Oh, I love this. So I think this is great. I mean, what's 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 ideal about the situation is that you know all these dancers, you know all these dynamics, you know how Bard is. So like, yeah, it's kind of ideal situation for really like digging in, trying Very to figure much. out something. Right. If this were happening in a less familiar environment, it would be really bad. Yeah. And like, um, or even where you weren't making the costumes, and like right? Someone else had to. Oh my God, that would be so, I would be so embarrassed, right? Because to have had other people make these and then be like, sorry, Sorry, like we're not using most of these and try again. That would be really bad. You've done that. (laughs) We have, we have. More so because other people required it. Right. And in doing so, you know, Harriet and I usually pick up the slack by really simplifying or doing it ourselves or, you know, we're not. I want to say we're not total nightmare designers, but maybe, maybe we are. I know you're not. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. You're too like empathetic to like the, the labor of it all. I really you do am. it. I really you make am. these things and you know yeah, what it takes. Exactly right. Yeah. right. But at any rate, it is nine thirty in the morning and I am going to walk over to my studio imminently to continue working on these costumes, even though yeah. we're supposed to be at Bard today. <laughs> but um, before you do that, um, I did listen to last week's excellent podcast, and I don't know if there was anything else about Harry Potter that you needed to say. Um, <gasps> oh my God, I'm sorry I talked about it not with you. I don't care. Oh, okay. Harsh? In a way, you know, I just, I listened to it. I'm so glad you listened to the episode. Yeah, it was nice. I like, um, Blake was returning some tights and I thought, well, I guess I can have a co-host this week. You know, what I did find funny was because you had messaged me on like Tuesday or something to be like, oh, I can do it tonight. Otherwise I can, you know, if you can't, I'll just do it. I'm like, great, just do it yourself. (laughs) But then you didn't do it until like Thursday night. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to do it myself, it's always going to be completely last minute. minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Harry Potter, I mean, that special effect is, is almost worth, I mean, I saw it for free. I almost said worth the price of admission, but I I, I didn't pay. It's almost worth the price. (laughs) The price of free. (laughs) Well, the price you pay for having to go to, you know, 43rd street and like walk through the hordes of children to see the show. your apartment. Exactly. There's a, there's a, um, there's a James Turrell exhibit here. Oh, I want to see, La- and, oh, what a pleasure. And we were, you know, cause we basically just, we basically are here when the museum is closed. So, and just kind of like sort of roam around. That's so uh, nice. There's this like great, incredible, like pink mist room. Oh. Um, that I didn't go in cause I, had no me, but Jack went into, wandered into it, and um, had a, had an incredible experience that I, I'm looking forward to. He got bathed in the light. Oh. Yeah, 
I really need to spend more time in this museum because I haven't spent any time in it other than to like get a tour of possible shooting locations. Oh, James Terrell. <clears throat> that is great. I Magic, mean, right? To, to really th- to think about what James Terrell does, you think like, wow, I wish I too could take something so natural and simple and like contain it in this way that's so thrilling you know yeah yeah and this this pink thing was is unlike anything i've ever seen of their work so i'm 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 very curious about going through this exit this exhibition more thoroughly to see what there is yeah Uh, magic it's Magic. really nice to have you back, Jeremy. It was, it was been, a, it was nice to. Ch- I well, we woke up, didn't we? We woke up. We woke up. We're here. We're alive. <sighs> uh, we'll be back on sometime on Sunday. So <sighs> next week we should be together. Are you yeah. up at Bard? I'll be up your, at Bard. <laughs> you're just gonna be up there living there. I am. Um, it seems I, unnecessary. It well, if you saw the state of things right now, you might. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Huh. I know. Are I you going to be there on Sunday? No, actually, no. we're. I think the whole the whole team is coming back to the city for Sunday, Monday. Oh. Yeah, and then going back Tuesday. Through... But you'll be work. You'll need to. I don't know, actually. Okay. Yeah, probably. Well, maybe but... Monday. Maybe Monday will work. Oh, yeah, to make an episode. Yeah, or just to see you. And to, oh, I'd love to see you. Podcast. I'd love to. Uh, yeah, I'm caring yeah. less and less. Because then I'm gone. Again, but whatever. Um, we'll figure it out anyway. <sighs> okay. Oh well, my gosh. Until next week. What a pleasure. You'll hear what happens. Um, thank you for listening to me talk about things. It and, was our uh, pleasure. And I, I'm, <laughs> I, I miss Beth Gill's River to River show. Ugh. Ugh, I did too, because we were here. I was at um, studio. The, her shows are at 5 p.m. Wow. That's, I love that. That I is mean, ideal It's challenging me. when you're for on a, a deadline. Yeah. yeah. They were all sold out anyway, like immediately, because... Yeah, but you can, like, stand in line and get in, I'm sure, with these things. I know. Anyways. Uh, Stuart offered me a ticket to go, but I couldn't go. I regret, and I'm sad, and maybe I'll see Nailbiter in the future. Uh, I, I, that black. I know, the floor. I was like, wow, this is under the skin vibes. I really want to see this. Yeah. Okay. All right, well. Someday. Someday. Somewhere. Someday. Somehow. Somehow. Uh, there Someone. is a place for us, which will be in our graves in several years, or <laughs> just sort of yes. scattered scattered yes. on the soil. Yes. <clears throat> and um, I'm glad we'll all be together, all of us together, dead, dead, dead. Ah, oh, dead, buried somewhere together. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is so exciting. Oh, also, I'm obsessed with still processing that podcast with you. Um, oh, I haven't really? listened to it. Check never, it never heard it. I'm pretty sure it's a New York Times podcast. Okay. So good. Ugh, obsessed. Okay. Um, still processing. Check okay. It out. Okay, okay, Jeremy. Uh, we love you. you. We love you. Bye.